Hello, I'm Wayne, and this is my Iron Maiden podcast, sponsored by Avon. Luxury cosmetics and talcum powder for all the family, and affordable prices. These podcasts are about me and Iron Maiden, and that's why it's called Wayne's Iron Maiden Podcast. And I look at the band's songs, one by one, and how they influenced me as a boy growing up in 1980s Birmingham. And I also compare how I feel about them today which is quite interesting. This week, I'm looking at the song To Tame a Land, which is track nine on the Peace of Mind album. And the Peace of Mind album has nine songs on it, which means that this is the last song on the album. Last week, I talked about Sun and Steel, and I got a bit of feedback. A few people commented on my thoughts on the music, and I got a few nice congratulations for spotting the link between the solo sections in Children of the Damned and Sun and Steel. But then, there were more comments about how Trevor takes his tea, and it started a discussion off, which led to a particularly strong reaction from Alan Bell about tea bags and milk and the order of things. You may recall that Alan Bell was also quite vocal about porridge, I understand that Trevor was interviewed by Uncle Steve recently and he offered to take Alan Bell out for afternoon tea at the Ritz. Imagine seeing them having a heated discussion on how to drink their tea in such a posh setting. I don't know what would happen. Probably get thrown out. If this did happen, I'd like to witness it. But I wouldn't be allowed in because Trevor also said in that interview that he might have to borrow my suit. I forgot to mention last week about Sun and Steel being the name of one of the lagers in the Iron Maiden range, like with the Trooper. You may recall in the Trooper episode that I mentioned a few possible suggestions for other Iron Maiden alcoholic drinks, and Sun and Steel wasn't one of them. But I must point out that I mentioned the Nomad, and I got a message from Andrew Whitnell saying that Nomad actually was linked to Trooper in Australia, because Nomad is the brewery involved in making it. And he said a picture of him holding a can, Although it was just his hand, didn't see his face. So there you go. This week I'm looking at To Tame a Land, which is quite a strange title, isn't it? It was originally going to be called Dune, after the novel by Frank Herbert. But when the band contacted him about using this, he wasn't happy. He actually threatened to sue the band and to stop the album from being released if this happened. This seems quite a strong reaction. But he claimed that he didn't like heavy metal bands, so he wasn't having it. We know this because Bruce told the story about it when he introduced the song on the World Peace Tour. I had to listen to the clip on YouTube from the performance at the Hammersmith Odeon in 1983. And clearly he's annoyed about it. It actually calls him a very rude word, which I won't repeat on the podcast. Dune is a science fiction book and it was written in 1965. So this was happening nearly 20 years later. It was quite good timing though, because a film came out the next year, which is 1984, and it had Sting in it from the police. I haven't read the book or seen the film, so I might just end the podcast now. Luckily, I've got plenty to say about the song regardless of this, so I'll carry on. As I've said, the band were very annoyed about the reaction from Frank Herbert, so they got their revenge. And I don't mean Bruce calling him nasty names when he introduced the song. On the Somewhere in Time cover, there's a sort of section on it, and it says Herbert Ailes. But ale isn't spout like beer, it's spout like the sort of trouble or sickness. The song starts off 
quite delicate like. It's got this sort of gentle guitar sound and crashing cymbals. They sound like they're being hit with those sticks that look a bit like lollipops. It flows quite nicely. But then they throw in a few stray notes that make it sound a bit strange and, and intriguing. The notes go up the scale a bit, but then, as I said, they put in these what, what are called black notes if you play the piano, and they're called flats or sharps. And by throwing them in, it adds some sort of drama to it. It's quite unexpected, but it doesn't make me fall off my chair in surprise, or scare me like Paul Diano did when he came in at the end of Phantom of the Opera. As it kicks in, there's this added atmosphere, because they had this sort of wind sound in the background. I knew that to play a wind sound, you didn't have to go outside and record the wind. You could use a keyboard or synthesizer. On my Casio keyboard in the 1980s, I didn't have wind as an option. I had things like pipe organ and harpsichord, which didn't sound very good when I used to play along to Iron Maiden songs. Michael Patterson had a Yamaha Porter sound, which had a hundred voices, and one of those was wind. He also had a beeping car and thunder, so it was quite good fun going around to his house. I don't know if Iron Maiden used a sample of the wind or a synthesizer to bring this into the song. It sounds very strong and effective, makes it feel like you're there in the desert. It could be one of those wind effect percussion things that you, you get in those hippie shops. It's like a sort of tube with, with bits in it and you sort of tip it up and it makes a noise a bit like the wind. Or it's supposed to anyway. It's an interesting sound effect. Some other people might speculate that it's the first time they used a hairdryer to simulate another type of sound in their recordings. So the whole thing's quite atmospheric already, and, and, the, and the guitar's almost quite eastern. Now, I've mentioned the desert, but this isn't like the Sahara or somewhere eastern on our world, but it's the desert on Dune, which is talked about in the lyrics. But the use of flats and sharps in the sort of melody, that does give it an eastern flavour. And it's a really unusual thing that Iron Maiden do quite a lot. It's almost like a taster for the song Power Slave, which again is set in the desert, but a different sort of desert. But the guitars have a similar feel. And even later in their career, with songs like The Pilgrim, they have this eastern flavour. I quite like this. The first line of the song is, He is the king of all the land and the kingdom of the sands. So there you go. Quite clearly, we're talking about a king here in the desert, or a place where there's lots of sand, but he isn't the king of the seaside. This is a serious song about a planet, the planet Dune. And a few more lines, he says, he is destined to be king. Hang on a minute, earlier on he said, he is the king of all the land. So I thought he was the king. So how can he be destined to be king if he already is the king? This doesn't make sense. If I'd have seen this live, I'd have shouted this out when he sang it. The verses, if you like, only seem to be three lines if you read the lyrics sheet. But after each one, there's this sort of guitar part, which again throws in these strange notes. One of those three-line verses says, He is the Kwisatz Haderach, he is born of Caladan, and will take the Gom Jabbar. This doesn't make sense. I've not read the book. I've even put these into Google, so I'll tell you what I've learned from it. He is the Kwisatz Haderach, that, that's, uh, that means shortening of the way. He's the shortening of the way. There's a similar Jewish phrase, which means contracting the path. So it's a similar thing. So there's some sort of link with Hebrew and, and whatever the people on Dune speak. 
This basically means this person we're referring to, whether he's the king or destined to be king, has got some sort of quicker path to the throne. He's born of Caladan. I'm guessing that's like a planet or a town. And I knew about strange-sounding towns from the world of Star Wars. And then when he takes the Gom Jabbar, that means a high-handed enemy. And there's a Jabbar in Star Wars as well, called Jabbar the Hutt. So I assume that his name means enemy in the shed. As I've said, I don't know much about the plot and the story of the film and the book. But I did have the computer game on the Amiga in the 1990s. In this game, you had to mine spice. And in the lyrics it says, a land that's rich in spice. So this is clearly what they grow on the planet. This computer game wouldn't be allowed today, as trading spice is something people do in Castle Bromwich and other less salubrious areas of Birmingham. It's illegal, so they wouldn't have a game where you could sell spice, because it's a a dangerous drug. I remember playing this game quite a lot as a boy. I quite liked it. It was one of those games where you sort of pointed the mouse at someone, clicked, and you got a selection of things you could say to them. We could click on a door and, and then you'd move and open it. So it's quite a good adventure game. I can't remember much about it apart from that. But I know you could talk to characters. But I remember talking to a woman in it and I, I sort of talked with her and I moved away from a building and she followed me. And we carried on moving away. And then we kissed. It was quite an exciting moment. I might Google it and see what her name was. See if I can track her down. I know she was a character in a game, but it'd be interesting to know the story. Well, maybe I, maybe I imagined it. Because the lyrics are sort of summarising a book's plot, I imagine it's quite a long book because the film is anyway. Anyway, because of this, the lyrics are sort of set out in phrases that you probably wouldn't use in everyday conversation. Now, quite clearly, if I went on a bus and said, I am the Kwisatz Haderach and I'll take the Gom Jabbar, I think the bus driver might say, can you get off the bus, please? But even the lyrics that are in English are quite strange. One couplet is, Without a still suit you would fry On the sand so hot and dry. This wouldn't be said in conversation. I can see, from a songwriting point of view, that you have to fit words into a melody and sometimes make them rhyme. But it seems a bit awkward. I wonder if this is a warning from a character in the book about make sure you wear your still suit. Or is Steve Harris telling us as humans on Earth that we couldn't adapt to the climate of this planet. So he's telling you that if you went on this planet without a still suit, you'd fry. It reminds me a bit of when I went on holiday to Landudno and I got sunburn. Perhaps I could have done with advice like this. But if it was said in this tone, I might have been confused. It would have been adapted probably, wouldn't it? So I've come up with a couple of lines that suit a scenario where you might be on the planet Dune or maybe you're going on the North Wales coast. So instead of, without a still suit, you would fry on the sand so hot and dry, it would be, and if you go out on the sands, you will burn in just your pants. I believe that's the same thing, and, and possibly better, more realistic. Going back to the original line, though, what is a still suit? There weren't any still suits in my mum's case catalogue. I looked in the index, and there weren't any there. There was nothing in the index between Stetson and Sweater. So it seems that these weren't real. I looked on Google, and they're only mentioned, linked with Dune, and people who like cosplay. Cosplay is short for costume play, which means people who dress up in costume and play. Although these are professionals who dress up for conventions or for Instagram. It's not for people who dress up as a dinosaur and play in a garden, 
or people who dress up as an umpa for Halloween. I don't believe this is cosplay. This is just fancy dress. Though it is confusing. Anyway, the first section builds quite nicely, but the lyrics probably won't make much sense unless you've read the book. It just sets the scene of this possible king and the land he finds himself in. Right, it's time for another instalment of... It's Dave Harris's Diary It's Dave Harris's Diary It's Dave Harris's Diary It's Dave Harris's Diary November 1983 There's been a lot in the news about nuclear war lately. All those missiles and stuff. Seems quite scary. I might use some of these for themes on the next album. We've just got another month left on the tour and then a break before we write again. So I'm looking forward to that. We've got Dortmund penciled in for Operation Eddie. He's doing our nutting. It's annoying when someone who appears at the end of the show and doesn't do much becomes more popular than the main act. That'll surprise the fans if it goes ahead. Suppose we'll see how it goes near the time. I'm hoping we do better in the end of year polls in the magazines this year. I can't think of any better acts than us this year so we'll see what those grey faces think. I've wrote them all a letter, so we'll see what happens. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. It's Dave Harris's diary. Steve Harris's diary is sponsored by 7up. This song is the longest song so far, which is quite surprising. We've had some epics already, Phantom of the Opera and Hallow Be Thy Name, but this certainly is an epic as well. And a bit like Hallow Be Thy Name, when it gets to the three minute mark, a lot's happened already. And it's sort of split into sections. So this first section, where I've said he's setting the scene, ends with Bruce saying he is the ruler of the stars, and he holds the note stars for a long time. And as he does this, the song builds around him, it reminds me a bit of the section in Hallowed Be Thy Name, where the sands of time for me are running low. And I don't mean because he's used the word sands, and we're talking about a desert here as well. I mean that he holds the note low for a long time, while the song builds into a new section. This end section talks about a time that this character will be king, and then all the foes will be cut down, and he'll be the best, a true messiah. So to tame a land suggests that it's a land that needs taming, so therefore maybe he's becoming a king in some wild environment. The end section has a bit more focus on the bass guitar, which sort of rumbles along nicely, and I think every part complements each other. No one's sort of taking the lead. It all just sounds perfect. Bruce's vocal is quite manic, but it's also quite controlled as it builds. You've got the bass drum pedal throbbing and the guitar crunching, and, and as it rises, Bruce says he has the power to make it all end, which is very intense. After this, it breaks down into another eastern vibe, but this is more frantic and quicker than before. If you listen to the bass line, Steve Harris's fingers must really hurt him. It's doing so many notes per second. You may recall I sort of did a syllables per second to sort of assess vocals, but Steve Harris, I can't even count the number of notes he's doing here, and he's doing this with his fingers. As this is happening, Nico keeps the song advancing by adapting the drum each time, so it isn't repetitive, it's a bit like a march, and if, if Nico's doing things, it takes the attention away from Steve Harris. This means that fans who are watching it live in 1983 might be looking at Nico beyond the drum kit rather than Steve. 
And he'd be pleased about this, because his face might be contorted with pain. He'd be grimacing with his fingers hurting over doing these notes so quickly. Even when the guitars come in and do their solo, you can hear that he's doing the high notes on the bass to sort of go alongside it. And there's so much going on in this song, and, and you realise that they've clearly grown up to this point. If you hear this song, you think, this couldn't be on the number of the beast. It's a step beyond that. And it's almost like that link between Hallowed Be Thy Name and Rhyme of the Ancient Mariner. And all three of these songs are the album closers. Generally, I'd say that this is perhaps seen as less popular than those two songs. But I think it's just as good. And I think it should be talked up a lot more than it is. After this frantic bit, it slows down. And then you think it's winding down the album. But then it goes back into the intro section again. And I think this is lovely. It's epic, wonderful. It comes full circle. And it puts me in a great mood. I'm glad that I pull up with Quest for Fire and Sun and Steel to get to this song. It's that good. I feel like I should swear. But maybe I'll just say that it's Boston. There's quite a lot of time at the end of this song with no singing in it. Which means that Bruce probably got time to go home early. Or maybe he went and had a rest. Or maybe went back to that table where they had the roast dinner and maybe picked up some of the scraps and looked in the fridge to see if there was any pudding. It's only been played live on the Peace of Mind tour in 1983, which surprises me. I feel that this should come back. I think this would be a very popular song. I think fans would be pleased to hear it. Steve Harris said at the time that it was the best song he'd written since Phantom of the Opera, and he thought that the song would be good promo for the book. As I've said, the film hadn't come out yet, but it, yeah, it would have been quite good for that as well, wouldn't it? OK, I'm going to give Trevor a ring now, see what he thinks about the song. Hi, Wayne. Hello, Trevor. What have you been doing? Well, I've been getting ready for Christmas. Now the shops are opening again. I've been uh, going out, but there's people queuing everywhere. Well, I'd say that's quite natural. I think people have been stuck in for a while, so, yeah, it's a nice excuse to go out. But even so, I think most Decembers we'd have queues and people uh, getting their presents and stuff. Yeah, but it's a bit more annoying because you have to queue outside now to get in the shop in the first place. What if you go in the shop and you don't want anything? Some shops are laid out, so you have to go around the whole shop just to get to the toys. It's all like a one-way system. Yeah, well, we've all got to pull up with it, Trevor. It's uh, There's the sort of sacrifices you make. Yes, it's all right, but I'm not feeling very Christmassy. Why is that, then? Well, there's no Santa's grottos in the shops for children, because you can't sit on Santa's knee because of distancing. Yeah, OK, well, I don't think that, that shouldn't really affect you, though, should it? No, but I think it affects children and, and families. And, you know, it's not the same. Just one example. Sorry, Wayne, that was just one example. I'm not bothered. I don't want to sit on Santa's knee. Do you remember when we went to see Santa in Lewis's in Birmingham? Yeah, I think, yeah, vaguely, yeah. I think we were just in town, weren't we? And uh, our mums sort of said that we should queue up. Uh, I think there's a photo somewhere. Yeah, I've got one. Should we put it on the social media? Uh, we could do, uh, yeah. Uh, maybe do it near a Christmas. Maybe maybe use it to promote the Christmas special. Yeah, that's right. I think I was pleased with it, but you were looking a bit miserable, as if you were too tough to see Santa. Oh, I don't know about that. I think it was... Uh, maybe I just didn't smile in time. No, you were trying to be tough. You were saying, oh, I don't want to see Santa. I'm, too, I'm a big boy now. But it was embarrassing in the queue. All right, why do you always bring these things up? Just just say, we went to see Santa, and it was a nice time. 
that's fine. We, we both came away with a present, and then maybe went to Wimpy afterwards. Yeah, all right. Sorry, Wayne. People will see themselves when you put the photo on social media. You're sort of scowling. I wasn't scowling. You were. It ruined it a bit. I wanted to cut you out of it, but luckily I didn't. So now we can share it with fans. Okay, yeah, well, that's fine. So obviously we won't repeat that now anyway because we're too old, but we we can't go to Santa's Grottoes. That's sort of the message we're getting from your story here. Yeah, never mind. Okay, well, what do you think of To Tame a Land? I think it's really good. I think it's a quite strong song, one of the best on, on the album. Um, I don't know much about the film, really, but I know the book had five sequels, so you wonder why there wasn't a follow-up to the film. Why isn't there a Dune 2? Like, there's a Grease 2. Grease 2? Yeah, remember, I mentioned it on another episode. Oh, uh, was that the pyjama party? Yeah. Yeah, okay, well... I think there was a Dune 2 computer game, though. Um, quite different. I think it was a bit more advanced than than the Dune game I mentioned earlier. So have you read the book, then? No, I'm not really into that sort of thing. Um, maybe I should. Plus, plus he bad-mouthed Maiden, didn't he? So I don't think he deserves it. I'm not buying his book. Well, he's probably not buying yours. Well, no, he's dead. Oh, OK. okay. That was perhaps not very uh, appropriate. Okay, I apologise to anyone who may be annoyed by that comment. Okay, so uh, have you got a poem about it? Yeah, and I'm going to call it Dune because I may weren't allowed to call the song Dune, but I'm allowed to call my poem Dune. So that's good, isn't it? I don't think you should rub it in. Well, it's not really about the book anyway. What, what's it about then? It's about a dune. Well, like a sand dune? Yeah. Okay, well, can you read it for us, please? I am naked in the desert. Okay, for, can I stop you there, please? Why are you always naked in these poems? Well, if you let me finish, you'll find out. I'll have to start again now, aren't I? Okay, sorry, Joe, I'll, I'll let you finish, and then, then I'll ask questions later. Right. I am naked in the desert. The winds whisper messages from distant lands that go over my head. A chiff-chaff rests upon me. After a weary day, it's nice just sitting here, but that other dune over there looks happier. Right, can I ask questions now, please? Yeah. Right, okay, so I've I've got now that you're writing from the perspective of a sand dune, so it's not you sitting in a desert with no clothes on. That's right. But then there's a chiff-chaff in it. So the, you don't get chiff-chaffs in the desert. You might do. I, I don't think you do. Well, anyway, it's a motif. It's a reference to a previous poem. So that's what poets do. You mentioned I Maiden borrowed one of their own riffs and, and solos last week, and that's what I'm doing with my poetry. I've got balloons, naked, you've just mentioned. I, I've, I hadn't realised I've used that much, but that's a good example. Okay, so, yeah, you're a sand dune. Uh, things happen around you. You're quite happy, but there's another dune that looks happier. Yeah. I think that's where now, where I have gone beyond just being a dune and linked it to human emotions. So I've personified the dune. So then people don't know if I'm talking about me, Trevor, with messages going over my head, perhaps people's conversations, uh, and, and maybe someone else on a bus, for example, looks happier than I do. Maybe they've got a different life. So I think, once again, it's a poem with many levels. 
Okay, well, thank you very much. Uh, glad to hear it's inspired something. Um, some listeners might be happy that the next few episodes I probably won't need a poem from you. So how do you feel about that? Well, as long as I can come on and do other things, I'm guessing it's the album review show next, so you'll probably want a top three if you're going with tradition, or maybe you're going to change it a bit. Well, yeah, I guess if you do make it top three, that'd be good. And then, of course, you've got the Christmas special, so I'm not going to tell you what that's going to entail because I'm going to keep that a surprise. But uh, I'll, not from you, I'll, I'll tell you beforehand, but I don't want you sort of blabbing your mouth off or, or you know, we don't want to be talking about it before the episode. So, But, yeah, I'll, I want you involved in that, of course. OK, that's good. Right, well, I'll speak to you in the week then, Trevor. OK, thanks, Wayne. Bye. Right, well, you can follow me on social media. That's where I'll post about the episodes. I've also got a Ko-Fi page, and there's been some posts lately about the top ten episodes so far. So have a look at those, uh, see if you agree with it. Uh, I've done about half of them so far. I think they've been covered. And uh, if you don't agree with it, there's a listener survey there, so you can sort of tell me what you think and maybe shape the podcast in the future. I believe there's also a prize if that sort of thing interests you. But you don't have to enter that. You can just give me feedback. I had a message from Janie and she said that recently they were listening to my podcast in the car and their little boy in the back seat was crying. Luckily, this wasn't because of me. And she goes on to say that eventually he fell asleep listening to the podcast. So she thanked me for this. I'd like to think that this is because of my soothing tone rather than the fact that the content was boring but she doesn't specify this. I had a message from Nathan, who'd like to thank Denzel, um, because last week Denzel pointed out what colour the padded cell was on the Peace of Mind album. And he did this by mentioning the hex code, which is very important these days, apparently. He wishes that Denzel had got in touch before and maybe talked about other colours on Iron Maiden sleeves. And guess what? I've had another message from an old friend. No, not Hawklord. Mr. Anagram's back, and he says, To tame a land is an anagram of a mental toad. So that's useful, isn't it? Nice to see you back, Mr. Anagram. I'm surprised you've not been in touch. I'm sure sun and steel must be an anagram of something. OK, well, that's To Tame a Land anyway. That's the, the final song on the Peace of Mind album. So it's been nice covering that. Next week I'll be scheduling an album review show before the Christmas special which uh, I think probably more fans are looking forward to than the album review special. So that's disappointing, but uh, good reason as well, because I'm excited by it, even though you can't tell from my brummy accents. My levels of excitement may seem quite static throughout the show, but uh, this was a good song, and hopefully you could tell from my tone compared to how I was speaking about Die With The Boots on. Uh, a great way to end the album, great way to end the series, sort of, but uh, as I said, there's lots of bonus episodes coming up soon. So uh, I'll speak to you next week. Bye-bye.